Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, and of course, we all love our dogs. America is a country of animal lovers, right? Wrong. We love our dogs, we love our cats, some people love some horses, but we are killing more animals than any culture in the history of humankind, and it's got to stop. Uh, So... I would like to introduce a man who is helping to make it stop. And that person is Mark Purcell, who is the man behind The End of Meat. Mark, thank you for joining us. Please explain your movie, what it's about, where people can watch it, and why you made it. Sure. So um, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Um, Well, the film's basically looking at a future without um, meat or animal products. So how a future would look like, how our society would change, what would happen to all the animals, where we get our protein from, of course, which is very important to a lot of people. And um, yeah, we basically traveled the world looking uh, for people who are working on that idea. We talked to philosophers, to scientists, to sociologists to activists, artists, entrepreneurs who are working on that idea. And it was really exciting. We went to India, we went all across Europe, we went to the US, to Canada, and met all these people and collected all these stories. And that's basically what the film is about. So stories about how a world like this could look like. And the film's been out worldwide since March, and it premiered in the US um, last year in New York and in um, Los Angeles, and you can watch it on Prime and uh, various other platforms. So why you? Why Mark making this film? Uh, well, I, I, um, I made a film before that. It's called Live and Let Live, and that was basically about why people um, go vegan or the various reasons people go vegan. And um, there was, there was a, always a question to the interviewees how they think a world will look like in 20 years from now. And it was, we got these really exciting answers. It was really interesting. And I did some research and there was nothing about uh, that question, like no literature, there was no research. And so I thought it would be really interesting to make a documentary about that because it's such an exciting question. Um, if you think about it, how, you know, just, just, Eating animals is such a such a large scale, uh, yeah, thing that's happening all all across the world. And if you take meat and animal product consumption out of that, it's really it's really hard to imagine that. And so that's what we try to explore in the film. Now, the Economist has said 2019 is going to be the year of the vegan. We see enormous changes. Uh, burger King coming out with an Impossible Burger. Uh, all over the place. I mean, Costco taking out its Polish sausage and putting in an acai bowl and uh, an Alpastore salad. A tremendous shift. But is it enough? Because, you know, the companies that are now these big meat companies that are investing in uh, meat alternatives, they're still producing animals and they're still moving ahead with their expansion plans with animals. It's like they're covering all their bases. So are we getting a false sense of security um, with these changes or are they the beginning of the end of meat? That's a good question. I think, um, well, I hope they are the beginning of the end of meat because we started the film in Germany where like six, seven years ago, the the vegan movement really entered the mainstream when, um, especially when classic um, meat producers were making vegetarian and vegan products and um, suddenly everyone was talking about vegan products and you could get them everywhere. There was more and more stores that were selling these products and it was just like something everybody was talking about and it was really exciting because before that nobody really cared about um, <clears throat> veganism and these products and so now they're available to everyone and I think that's really what helps that um, regular consumers can find these products in their supermarkets, the restaurants where they go to and that makes it 
the access to these pr uh, products makes it easier for people to try it out. And <clears throat> what we found in the film is that it's mainly the flexitarians who are driving the trend. So people who are actively are reducing their meat consumption, the animal product consumption, and they are interested in how these products taste. And that's what, what's driving uh, the, the movement not only in Germany, but other countries as well. And I hope it, it continues. And we see this when with other companies that are investing in these technologies, not only plant-based technologies, but also cultured meat products. And we're seeing more and more companies coming out and investing. So I think it's really exciting. And I hope it will be the beginning of the end of meat. I think you're raising a very crucial issue with flexitarianism. Mm -hmm. I often say, I don't care if nobody ever utters the word vegan again in the history of humankind. I'm not about promoting a word. We are all about saving animals who are just like our dogs and cats, who have the same complex emotional development, and in the case of pigs, for example, are far more intelligent than, sorry, Rico, our dogs and cats. And so it's a numbers game. How do we reduce the numbers of animals being killed? And everybody's looking for that magic formula. And honestly, uh, when Kathy Freston came out with the book Vegan-ish, okay, so as a vegan, your first reaction is, wait, why are you stopping at the five-yard line? But when you think about it for a minute, it's brilliant. Because if it's a numbers game, which it is, in terms of reducing the numbers of animals tortured and killed, and if everyone were to go vegan-ish, we would save more animals in terms of minute-by-minute uh, minute killing, torture, et cetera, than if we demand that people go vegan. And um, so we have to open our minds to those possibilities where how does change occur? And it reminds me of uh, when I was reading about electricity and that even when electricity was relatively ubiquitous, there were people who were still insisting on using gas, gas lamps because, well, that's all, that's the way we did it and we're not going to change and what's this newfangled technology and do we need it? So human nature is what it is. We have, we're powerless over how human beings, you know, evolve in, in the sense of what the process is. If it helps people to go vegan-ish, then that's something that we need to embrace. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, I, I have lots of friends who are vegans and then I have a few friends who I've been talking to for years and years and years and they just don't want to go vegan. They've, <clears throat> they've uh, reduced their consumption of animal products, which is great, but some people it's just not, they don't, they need a bigger push to, to go vegan or maybe they never go vegan. So, <clears throat> so even <clears throat> with these people, it helps if they reduce their meat consumption. I think it's more and more easy, and that's what's impossible, to make it as easy as possible for these people to get these products and to make it as well socially acceptable that these products are not like an elitist thing, that it's nothing exotic, that these products taste excellent. They're so close to the taste of meat now, so I think it's really... That really helps, and I think it's driving this this movement that these products are coming out, and there's more and more different forms, and the taste is great. So, yeah. You know, it was interesting. I personally don't like products that taste just like meat because mm -hmm. I've been a vegan for 22 years, and it's repulsive to me, frankly, and makes me uncomfortable. And some of these products are so much like meat, impossible <laughs> foods, right? Yeah. The Impossible yeah. Burger that literally when I went to do a taste test and go live, as we do here on Jane Unchained, anytime there's a new um, fast food company or casual dining restaurant that adds any kind of meat alternative, we go live to let people know, hey. And I asked the waiter four times, and he thought I was just obnoxious. Like, Are you sure this is the <laughs> Because it was so much like meat. It smelled like meat. Yeah. It looked like meat. It tasted like what, whatever I remember meat to be. And, and that's exactly what we need to do, even though it may not be for vegans. Um, a neighbor of mine who is a carnivore, he's always grilling, and he came out and he said, I like that Impossible Burger. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that the very thing that I found uncomfortable was what he liked because it reminded him so much of meat. Now, we know that there's the Impossible Burger, and there's also Beyond Meat Burger, uh, we know there's many cheese alternatives, but what next for people who like uh, 
pork chops and all sorts of things. I know that these products are coming on the market, but then then we get attacked and say, well, if you're against meat eating, why are you trying to make things that look and taste like meat? Isn't that hypocrisy? No, we're, we're trying to basically do whatever we can to get you to stop killing animals. Uh, I want to ask you this question. Uh, CNN, just yesterday, sent out a notification. The leading cause of death is people not eating enough fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains. Of course, they can't make that leap to, hey, go vegan, but Time Magazine also did it just a couple of days earlier. And of course, my reaction is, duh, but, you know, because the evidence has been there for a long time, but there's a new study that they've just done that, that confirms it. Let's talk about that, that the media is never going to approach it from the perspective of it's the right thing to do. We should just do it. Uh, you know, it's bad for the climate. It's bad for our health. But when, there's, when they start talking about, oh, you can avoid dying by eating more fruits and vegetables, and uh, it's killing this, this, this diet of ours is killing most of us. It's the leading cause of death. Then you get people's attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, went to Oxford to talk to a scientist who did a study on <clears throat> exactly this and what uh, effect a, a global vegan diet would have. And you found that a, <clears throat> a vegan diet could avert 8 million deaths every year until 2050, and it would reduce um, healthcare costs and climate-related damages of 1.5 trillion US dollars. And those are just immense numbers if you look at them. So. I think the health argument is something that's really important and we see this um, um, out there every day and it's getting stronger and I think it really helps people. But having said that, um, with all these products coming out with the Impossible Burger and all these meat alternatives, it's becoming easier for people to, to go vegan, but at the same time, it's a lots, lots of comfort foods that are not as healthy. So I think it's a bit of a tricky thing that people still want to enjoy the products that they're used to. but they not necessarily get into this from a health perspective, like the way I got into veganism because there was nothing out there. So I, I was forced to try out all these recipes and learn to cook basically. So oh, I, th yeah. I, th I, th I still think it helps. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know, I don't like it when somebody puts you in a no win situation. <laughs> well, we want to have uh, something that tastes like animals, but we want something totally healthy. Well, you know what? The healthiest thing is just to sit down and eat a carrot and eat an apple. You know, the old saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I haven't heard yeah. that in years. Um, but uh, uh, I want to know if people, we're going to go to a break. We're going to stay live on YouTube. If people want to watch this, where do they go? Is there, is it on Amazon? Is it on Netflix? Is it, is it a link? And we'll post that link as soon as we're done with this interview. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. It's included in Prime, and you can watch it on iTunes, on Hulu, on um, Vimeo, and a couple of different platforms. You can go to theendofmeat.com. You click on Watch, and it shows you all the different platforms. Oh, wonderful. So people, there's no reason why people cannot see this film. They can see it on Amazon Prime. And uh, I uh, would love to talk on the other side about all the people who are in it. We're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio, and we'll come back. Uh, we're going to stay live on YouTube, and we're also sharing that on Facebook. Uh, you can call and ask questions, 866-472-5795, of the filmmaker, Mark Purcell. We're so delighted to have him on today. So a quick break, but stay right there. We'll be back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. There's a new force to be reckoned with in talk radio. It's not just talk radio. Hosted by LaTanya Jr. and co-host Tina Wynn and Tony Brown. Not Just Talk Radio is like a superhero. Inspiring, problem-solving, and informing. Packed with action-provoking conversations from news, movements, and social and politics issues. This program is about a wide range of voices and fresh points of view from experts, celebrities, and you, the listener. Not Just Talk Radio is broadcast live Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age, from relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast-track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. We are here with the amazing Mark Rochelle, who is the filmmaker behind The End of Meat. And it's a fascinating discussion. You know, there's an old saying, from your mouth to God's ear, Dear God, I hope we get to the end of meat soon. Uh, tell us about some of the people who are in your film. Sure. So, well, there's um, Esther the Wonder Pig, um, who I'm sure all of you know. And then there is Joanne MacArthur, a photographer from Canada. There's uh, Anita Krines, who started Toronto Pig Save and the Save Movement. We have Jean Bauer from Farm Sanctuary. We have Jenny Brown. <clears throat> we have... Will Kimlicker and Sue Donaldson, two authors who wrote the book Zupolis. We have Dr. Mark Post, who premiered the first cultured meat burger in 2013. Uh, we have um, <clears throat> Sebastian Joy from Provac in Germany and Jan Bredak, who started Vegans, the supermarket chain in Germany, first vegan supermarket chain. Yeah, and lots of other different people. So it's like really a variety of activists, entrepreneurs, scientists, uh, artists. Yeah, it's a broad range. Are they primarily hopeful or do they feel like the, when do you think the end of meat is going to occur based on all these people that you spoke with? I I don't have an exact date, but um, it's a question I get a lot. So um, some people are a bit more optimistic. Others are not. It, just depends on the way you look at it, I guess, from which kind of perspective. For example, we went to India <clears throat> because we wanted to see how it is, um, uh, how it looks like in a society with um, around 30% vegetarians. But uh, there, the influence from the Western uh, Western culture is increasing, and you see all these fast food outlets opening there. And to the youth there in India, it's like the the hip thing or the the, the cool thing to eat at. KFC or McDonald's, so they they are eating more meat. So actually, the number of vegetarians is going down. Oh my god! And and India is an important example, but it's because because it's going to be the most populous country in about five to six years. So it has a huge influence on on all kinds of factors, oh, and we wow. we see that factory farming is rising there as well. Oh my god! So, oh. but then then again, if you look at Western countries, if you look across Europe, the vegan movement's re- increasing there, and we talk to activists in India that are trying to uh, increase the number of vegans there uh, as well and steer against that kind of. Wow. Well, yeah, it's it's a very tricky subject because it's not just the United States. However, I will say that where the United States goes, the rest of the world follows. If hmm. we could hit the tipping point here, then we could very possibly um, have them imitate us because right now they're imitating us. You know, affluence used to be associated with meat eating in the United States and in some areas it still is, but increasingly amongst the younger demographics, the millennials and the Gen Zers, uh, plant-based is associated with affluence. And then of course they turn around and say, well, it's elitist. No, it's not. You know, you could buy a sack of potatoes and live for two weeks easily 
and spend, you know, a couple of bucks. So it's not elitist. It's not more expensive. Uh, we've got to call it. We've got Danny from Portland. Your question or thought, Danny? Hey there. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yep. Great. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show and also for, for making the film. I watched it on Amazon uh, about a week or two ago. It was phenomenal. It really was phenomenal. And um, I know that none of us can actually predict when the end of meat is going to be here, but I think we all know it's going to be, it's going to be gone. Um, and I'm just, what I love about, and I've been to Berlin, and so is Jane at different times, and it's incredible how veganized it is. I mean, it's just vegan everywhere, right? Yeah. It's pretty great. So that's a good sign of our future. But my question is, is um, I guess when I was listening to, to you two, one thing that I thought about is that people will give all kinds of excuses as to why they won't go vegan. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we just keep going in the vegan direction and they will eventually have to follow when it becomes illegal or when there's no more. But I, I think that they're always going to have excuses because the thing underneath of why not to go vegan is the same answer, which is, you know, you're not willing to pay attention to what's happening to the animals. If you're not willing to look at it, then you're just not willing to see the real truth, no matter what excuse they give. Um, but I guess, I think Jane already asked you this. What got you to do this film? Why why the end of me? You could have written, you could have done a film about anything about it. Why the end of me? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, basically, I want to turn the perspective around because um, <clears throat> so far, if you look at um, other documentaries, it's always, fo they always focus on the negative side of um, animal agriculture. And I wanted to turn it around and instead look at the positive um, effects that this diet could have if more and more people ex uh, accept it and follow it or try it out and what kind of um, things we could achieve if we all uh, eat plant-based for vegan. Mm. Thanks so much, Danny. We're going to go to another caller. Thank you, Thank you for that. It was Thanks, great. Mark. Donna, nice. Los Angeles, your question or thought? Hey, um, so hi. Thank you for doing the show. It's so great. Um, I have a question. I'm wondering, okay, so there's a lot of statistics, different statistics out there, um, saying when basically the world is going to, you know, come to its demise if we don't change and become more of a, a predominantly vegan world. In your research for your movie, um, did you find any sort of statistic um, that, you know, basically says, like, we need to change by this time or the world is not going to exist any longer? Because I just read so many different, like, you know, Dr. Slush Wow says eight years from now, other, other people say 50 years from now, what did you find in that? Because I feel like it's such an important statistic to get out there so people can, you know, grasp onto the idea that this world is no longer going to be here if we don't change. Your kids will not have a place to live. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's, um, uh, I think it's called a peak meet, which is what, what I found in my research, the point where we um, already exceeded the, the level of um, animal product consumption where it's sustainable for the planet. And we've been long past that and we see the effects, but we can't really pinpoint them exactly to meat production or uh, animal product consumption. So um, it's, it's small effects, like for, for example, climate change is getting more severe. And then in Germany, for example, we have this problem with uh, nitrate in our water system because it's all the, all the um, feces from the, from the factory farming. And the uh, biodiversity loss from... Um, growing all the crops that we feed to the animals. So we see all these small changes happening all around us. And I think they're going to be more severe the, the, more, the more meat or animal products we consume. And it's hard for us to pinpoint it exactly to that, to animal agriculture. But I think it's important that we raise, raise the question what, what really is um, happening and that we can change it by choosing a plant-based diet. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Donna. We're going to go to Elizabeth in Los Angeles. Elizabeth, your question or thought? Yes, I wanted to know, and I'm just jumping in now. Thank you for what you do. I appreciate it. So I hope no one has asked this prior. I'm wondering what sort of resistance you had from the meat industry. Did you have any issues getting this film to market? Actually, I, I get this question a lot, but I, I never had any, any issues. Um, there was no 
secret agents. No one was uh, threatening us that we come out with this uh, with this film. I think there's other films out there that are more aggressive in our approach. I think the, the end of me is very um, laid back and it's like looking at this from a rational perspective. And I mean, obviously the numbers are staggering if you look at it, but we wanted to be a bit neutral and have people think about uh, these facts for themselves. Thank you so much, you. Elizabeth. We're, we're going to go to Lisa and Thousand Oaks. Lisa, your question. Hi, everybody. Um, thank you so much for your fabulous film. I saw it about a year ago at the screening in Beverly Hills, and it was, it was magnificent. It really touched my heart. I, I have a question about the farmers and about the people that work in the agriculture industry. Do you have any strategies, or I'm sure you've given thought, to what's going to happen not only to the animals left behind, but to the people that work in these fields? What kinds of programs and structures or strategies have you come up with to cope with uh, this hopefully um, pro- hopeful problem that I hope we have, meaning the end of meat, then what do we do? Well, that's a good question a lot of people ask. And I think, um, well, there's always going to be a demand for, for, for plant, plant-based protein. So there's lots of alternatives farmers can switch to. Over the past years, what we've seen in Germany is that um, uh, most of these small farms have died, at, died down because they've been replaced by bigger and bigger farms. So it's really hard for small farmers to um, make a living. So and I think that's not the fault of the the vegan movement or the vegetarian movement, it's, the, it's just how industry and capitalism works because uh, the bigger farms obviously can produce um, meat or milk at lower costs. So they're, they're being more effective and they force the smaller farms out. And I, I think that's a trend we've seen over the past 10, 20 years in Germany. So yeah, I think um, there's lots of alternatives and we've seen farmers change to different products and there's lots of examples. For example, the film, The Last Pig, is a good example of that. I want to ask you about the climate change movement because I love the fact that we have meat alternatives going into stores and we've got stores like Vegans. I was in Berlin uh, last uh, fall and uh, yep. it, a peak experience going into Vegans. It's mm-hmm. like a Whole Foods except it's totally vegan. It's just amazing. Yep. And uh, yet that's just one piece of the puzzle. The other piece is joining with other movements, like the climate movement. And Greta Thunberg, this uh, Swedish teen, teen or preteen, who's just the youngest person, I think, nominated for a Nobel Prize, who is doing the school strikes, is saying basically, you know, adults, you've screwed up royally, and uh, we're marching and striking because you haven't done your homework. And uh, she's vegan, she turned her parents vegan, And we went to some of the marches here in L.A. and New York, but yet there was an awareness that, oh, yeah, I shouldn't be eating meat, but people were still eating it. The kids were like, my parents won't let me go vegan. I mean, I found some vegans, which is better than, let's say, seven years ago when I was at a climate march where they were just serving hot dogs to everybody. Um, So there's an increasing awareness. But how do we latch on to this exploding Green New Deal, climate safe type movement and bring the animal agriculture into the equation and stop lying to people and saying, well, you just need to drive a, an electric car and, 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 wear, and, and change your light bulbs. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think um, it's the most easiest thing people can do if they want to do something for the climate. It's just switching to a plant-based diet is really, really effective and so easy and so easy now, especially and I think politicians always point at industry <clears throat> as the biggest producer of climate uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And I think they're scared of the industry because the industry, obviously the agriculture industry is very big and they have huge influence. For example, the European Union, they just passed a law, or I think they're working on a law that it's not allowed to call veggie burgers veggie burgers anymore because uh, it's supposed to be an animal product and consumers could be confused by the veggie burgers that they buy and that's not really meat so so they want to call them veggie discs which is which is like just an absurd idea um to to implement and i think just um especially the younger consumers will be the ones that um are going to drive this idea and i think that social media really helps We've seen this with the Save Movement and Anonymous for the Voice list, which are really effective movements, and they're getting these images out there. So if 
mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, social media really helps grow these movements, and we've seen that uh, in the past few years, and that's something we talk about in the film as well. Well, well, personally, I feel that every single animal welfare, animal rights group, <coughs> vegan group, vegan everything needs to come together and show up at these climate marches and be organized. When we found out that there was going to be a climate school climate strike here, uh, the people, you know, rallied quickly and ran down there with signs and actually... Uh, one of our contributors, our booker, Paige Parsons Roach, uh, convinced them to allow one of our speakers, Ellen Dent of Animal Alliance Network, to get up and speak. But there was no pre-planning. There was no pre-planning of the animal rights groups to be a, an integral part of this. I will give props to PETA. They had some somebody leafleting there and marching with a sign. But we should be all over those. We should be all over all climate marches because the media comes and if they see 500 go vegan signs, they're going to have to include it when they pan. Okay. They can't edit them all out, but if there's a couple here and there, they can edit them out. And so um, this is something that should be priority number one uh, for animal rights organizations, period, end of story. Drop all the other, you know, not drop all the other stuff, but get together. I always say, you know, the bad guys get together. The organized crime bosses get together and they say, hey, is what we're going to do? Well, why don't the heads of all these animal rights groups get together and say, boom, this movement is exploding on the world stage. It's capturing the next generation, the millennials, the Gen Zers, and they're not watching as much TV. They're not as indoctrinated as your average 50 or 60 or 40 year old because they don't watch TV as much. So they're getting the images. They've seen dairy is effing scary. They've seen uh, portions of Earthlings, Mercy for Animals videos, PETA videos, PETA 2, uh, which had done a great job, animal equality. They've seen all this. So they get it. Um, and we should jump on them. And uh, do you feel that there's any kind of drop in the ball in that regard? That's a good question. Um, I haven't looked too closely at all everything that's going on in other countries, but it's really, really effective here in Germany and um, <clears throat> the numbers are still growing. So I don't know what percentage of the kids are vegan or vegetarian, but I think they're way more open to the idea of it because, yeah, it's nothing that, they're scared of anymore and there's all these products for them. It's so easy for them. I mean, the parents are obviously a good, a big barrier or big challenge that, that was, was, was what it was like for me. But um, I think it's way easier now because veganism is so accepted in Germany and yes, people know about the benefits. So I think, I hope it grows in this movement and I think it's important as well to link to other movements and, um, continue to work together because we can learn something from them and they can learn something from the animal rights movement. And I, I think we can join forces and just be more effective. So in doing this film, did you learn something about, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to pivot. I think that, you know, all movements sort of pivot. They do something and go, okay, that works, but here, this could work better or that didn't work. Let's do this. Did you learn something about, well, here's what we really should be doing. Bingo. I wish I had the, the number one recipe for, for animal rights activism, but I don't. I mean, <clears throat> it was just a variety of um, people that we met. And um, I think what's most powerful is the stories that people tell of, of transformation that, um, for example, from farm sanctuaries um, or animal farm sanctuaries where people go and they experience these animals in, in their natural environment or as much as natural environment and they they see what's behind the products they have on their plates so it's really a revelation to them and some people yeah went vegan straight after that and i think these stories are really powerful of transformation of people telling their own stories how they went vegan and how they got influenced and saw behind the products on their um we are going to take another oh we've got a, a caller from new york adida a question from new york your thought question Hi there. I'm really enjoying the conversation, and I was actually asked the New York City premiere of The End of Meat, 
And um, yeah. I was so impressed with the film. I spoke with you, with the filmmaker, and, um, you know, sitting in the audience and watching the audience reaction was um, so compelling and seeing how there were definitely people there who were not vegans, who really were having their minds blown, like learning about all of this. And I think that's so important, these kind of documentaries of taking this information and these images and bringing it in a really understandable, compelling way to the public. So I want to thank you for creating this film. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the comment. And thank you, Adita. She's a, an amazing activist in New York who has done a lot uh, across all fronts, but particularly with the carriage horses and is having some victories there after years of battles. We're going to take a very quick break and we will be back for our final segment, but we're going to stay live on YouTube, which we're also sharing on Facebook. So see you in a couple of seconds. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Financial freedom and money are subjects that many people are uncomfortable discussing. These don't have to be. Listen for Money, Mindset, and Love with Thomas DeShooter. We're all about sharing ideas with tips, amazing guests, and input from you, the listeners. It's time to dream big and help each other reach our goals. Not only will you get closer to financial freedom, but you'll learn more about spirituality, work-life balance, and empowerment. Listen live Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Influencers. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time at 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guaranteed, it will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. And we're here with Mark Forschel, who is the man behind the incredible film, The End of Meat. He's in Germany. Are you in Berlin? I'm not in Berlin. I'm in Münster, which is a small city to the Netherlands border. Oh, wow. Uh, I was just in Berlin this past summer, and we did all the vegan restaurants. It I know they say London is number one, but I got to tell you, I think Berlin is number one. I literally could not go a block without seeing vegan. We left our Airbnb. The first thing we stumbled upon was a vegan pastry shop. Of course, that was the last thing I needed, but it was delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. And then yeah. I started talking to leaders in, in Berlin about what, why is it that, that Berlin is this hotbed? And you know what they said? And maybe you can correct or add uh, elaborate. They said, well, you know, when the wall came down, there was an entire society in East Berlin that hadn't been conditioned and programmed. And they kind of scattered around. And then a lot of them came back to East Berlin. And a lot of artists came. And there were many banded buildings and artists and punks and counterculture uh, types. And they sort of created their own society again. They sort of had an opportunity to start fresh. And since they weren't so conditioned, they were open and they were open to veganism. What do you think, Mark? Oh, it's a good question. Um, uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, definitely lots of subcultures meet in Berlin and it's got a very rich history with the wall being torn down. And 
I think it's just um, a very creative city with lots of people from all across the world moving there. So I think it's easy for people to make a start, get a startup going and there's lots of small opportunities where smaller vegan joints can have a pop-up or something. And there were lots of squats where people were doing vegan food and they grow, f- the, the businesses grew from there. So yeah, I think it's, um, it's an exciting city and it's still growing with new vegan places opening up. And I think there's around 75 all vegan places now. So I, I haven't wow. been to all of them. So it's, well, we tried we were there for a week and for breakfast, lunch and dinner, we were trying, but I was really looking at it. There are five star, like Lucky Leak, five star vegan restaurants. Yeah. And then there were a little hole in the walls that have delicious and there's vegan ice cream. There's everything. And believe mm-hmm. you, I did. I tried to, as best I could to try every single <laughs> one of them in one week. But, um, you know, it gave me hope because it showed me that without that kind of conditioning, uh, people can open their minds. And um, I, I just feel that, you know, the law of unintended consequences. Somebody said to me, you know, they tried to help horses for years who were being brutalized in wars and in all sorts of things. And then along came the electric car, which probably did more for horses than any protest, not to say we shouldn't protest and we still protest for horses, but yeah. is is lab meat, lab grown meat, the electric car of uh, our movement? It's a good question. It's hard to tell. Um, I mean, there's, um, <clears throat> I was really, when I made the film, I was really impressed how many startups there are working on not just cultured meat, but all kinds of different culture products, cultured cheese, cultured gelatin, fish. And, and it's really exciting because these, um, they, they've progressed really far, far already. And they have these huge investments from all these rich people from Richard Branson, from Bill Gates. So lots of philanthropists, believe in this idea and what we see now is that traditional meat producers are investing in this technology we have Tyson Foods investing we have the Wiesenhof group from Germany who has invested in um, the startup and now we have a, <coughs> a joint regulation from the FDA and USDA in the US so the product can go to market tech, uh, theoretically and I think it's going to when it's going to go to market I think it's just going to convince the last hardcore meat eaters that really don't want to be convinced by the impossible burger or the beyond burger. And I think it's that last solution that's going to help convince the people that don't want to be convinced. And I think it really could, could revolutionize the market. And the people we talked to in the film, they said that plant-based are going to increase and we see a similar increase in cultured meat. So it's going to be some, the two alternatives are going to rise uh, like similarly in the future. That's what I see. I think you're making a very good point. For those sort of entrenched, intractable um, people who are like, you know, and there's a lot of them out there, well, they can go to lab meat if that's what they need to do. And other people uh, will switch to veganism or 99% veganism. One of the things that gets me very excited is when I walk into a restaurant that's not a vegan restaurant, and it's primarily vegan, accidentally. I, this happened to me, it's happened to me several times now where things are sort of becoming very vegan-ish where it's almost like the outlier is the meat. And, it, you know, the juice bars are very vegan-ish. Maybe they'll have like bone broth, but that's it. Okay, and everything else is pretty much vegan. And so there's, there's this sort of green thing cropping up that doesn't say vegan you know on the on the front door but it's green and it's primarily vegan and again that gets back to the point of vegan ish so as we see society change it's going to manifest itself in all different ways different iterations and i think it's important that we actually embrace all of that as opposed to nitpicking. I do see a lot of nitpicking in this movement, people wanting to be the number one hero, people wanting to be purists, and um, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but can we afford that? I think you're right. I mean, we have to um, look at all kinds of different ways to reduce animal agriculture, and at the end of the day, animals won't care if why they won't be killed, if it's for the cultured meat burger or if it's for a plant-based burger, so... I think anything helps and we should 
I mean, cultured meat is a bit of a critical issue because it's still using lots of energy and it's not ideal because there's going to be cells that are going to be used from animals. So we have to use animals in some kind of way. We don't know because this technology is not finalized yet. So we don't know how it's going to look like, how much of an animal is still going to be used. But still, if it helps to reduce the number of animals and that that's the, the base, basic idea of uh, Mark Post, uh, the man we interviewed for the film, his, his idea, he's a meat eater himself. So he just wants to reduce the number of animals killed and exploited for, um, for meat production. And I think that's just um, great if it helps. Let me ask you a question. Uh, the so-called best and the brightest, and I always remind people that was a sarcastic title, how the best and the brightest got us into the Vietnam War and so many people mm. were killed unnecessarily and it was a fiasco and a tragedy and a horror show. Uh, conducted by the best and the brightest who thought they knew better than anybody else. And, uh, you know, they went to the top schools. They were the elites and they were arrogant. And uh, yeah. we still see the same thing today about the animal rights movement. How is it that progressives, progressive liberal media that uh, can see the nuances of the Russia investigation and understand so much complexity, can't get the idea, can't grasp the idea that uh, we're only 7.7 billion humans and we're killing, what, 60, 70 billion land animals, not including fish every year, and those animals eat almost 40 times what they produce as meat or dairy, and therefore we are destroying habitats and we are destroying the animals who live on those habitats why is it that they cannot understand this? That even the New York Times talks jokingly about cow farts in some of their op-ed pieces without grasping the enormity, the sheer enormity of the problem. Uh, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, what's what I can say is that these products are hidden. So you can you don't see the pigs that you're eating you don't see the cows i mean you see a few cows but most of them are inside and you see these large factory farms on the side of the highway if you drive past you smell you smell them you see the animal transports tra transporting these animals to the slaughterhouse but people don't really have a relation to these animals they they know they're there but they don't know where they are exactly and when they see them through the eyes of these movements, for example, the safe movement, I think that really challenges them. And some people shut their eyes. They don't want to see that. They want, they, they keep ignoring it. But I think the more and more people that are out there that are actively changing, I think it's harder for other people to sh shut their eyes and ignore the vegan movement as it is. So I think, I hope in the future that mainstream media will talk more about this issue because it's so, um, so interesting and so helpful to different um, aspects, you know, for the health argument, for the climate change argument, for the ecological benefits, and yeah, for the ethical argument, obviously as well. Uh, what is the best way you think to wake mainstream media up to force them to acknowledge this issue? We've actually done videos where we will videotape something offensive that somebody says, you know, somebody who's railing against climate change and then talks about, oh, I've got a giant turkey and I couldn't stick mm -hmm. it in the oven. It was so big. And we actually do videos and call them out and then target them and, you know, try to get their attention, not because we're being mean, but just like, hey, the future of the planet depends on you waking up and realizing that animal agriculture is the leading cause of what's destroying our world. What do you think is the best way to get at them? You're in the media, you've done a film. Uh, I mean, it's hard to to reach people, and you, you you know that. So, I mean, anything that really is has a powerful message, I think, is what's what's key. If it's a story being told, or uh, the story of an individual animal, or you see, for example, in Australia, where activists go into slaughterhouses and do a lockdown or into factory farms, I think that's really powerful. I mean, nonviolent action being taken in the name of animals. That's that's really powerful, but is it enough to get on get on mainstream media? I don't know. I mean, that's... Well, I say there's two things that'll really help your chance of getting on mainstream media. One is go naked and two is <laughs> And, you know, people attack PETA. Oh, why are you sexualizing people? Well, they hold serious news conferences. They have 19 lawyers. They're file, file, filing Freedom of Information Act requests left, right, and center 
crickets from the mainstream media. So then in desperation, they <laughs> they do something outlandish to try to get the media in desperation. Yeah. And then the media says, you're not serious because you're doing something. Or um, DX, direct action everywhere in, uh, in Berkeley. Giant marches, more than a thousand people doing a die-in. Crickets, no media coverage. But then they go in and they do an open rescue. 20-some or 30-some people are arrested. Then you have the mainstream media doing a horribly slanted negative report about them. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we have to change the equation. We can't play their game. Uh, because that game is designed for to set us up for failure. I will say one thing as we wrap up, you know, and when I was in Berlin, I know the European Union has said you can't say soy milk. Well, there was soy beverage, oat beverage, hemp beverage, and oatly, the oat beverage is taking over Berlin. Everywhere I looked, there were signs and giant billboards. So people are that stupid that they're not going to make the connection. Those are desperation measures that will fail. Ditto for those discs. Um, somebody should do a campaign <laughs> making fun of it and say, hmm, this is a yummy disc. You know, uh, I urge you to, to, you know, do that since you're in Europe. Mark, you're fantastic. I'm, I know you're a very busy man. Thank you so much. I really, really, really am honored to uh, talk to you. I'm excited that we're doing this from Germany to Los Angeles. And uh, I, I just wish that everybody my wish watch the end of meat send it to your friends we're going to put up the link send it to your pre-vegan friends to your friends who are still eating animals let's wake them up and this film i think is a very good way to do exactly that so thank you again mark and thanks for being a good sport when we had some challenges in the beginning uh, um, no worries thank, thank you so much for having me it's really been fun talking to you and yeah i hope people We'll get the message and uh, it will spread spread across the world and we'll be vegan in a, in a few years' time. Absolutely. Thank you again. And for all of you out there, if you love them, love them. Killing is no kindness. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.